guys put your hands together for Madison and Cassidy? Super grateful. Uh, we don't just do worship because we're at a church. We do it because God is worthy of it. And so for us to even just set up our hearts right as we go into looking at the Bible and looking for truth together, man, it's, it's so helpful for us to not just walk into this room trying to leave with more information, but to leave with a greater relationship with our relational God. And actually, that's what we're going to be talking about a lot throughout this series, that God is a God of relationship, and so we're going to get there. But you're going to need Bibles, and so we got blue Bibles over there. If you don't have a Bible, we can have some people pass them out. Look at that. Look at that. Front row Joe's doing it. Uh, If you need a Bible, wave them down. We're going to be uh, like page two, so we're going to be in Genesis. Um, But as those Bibles are being passed out and as you are getting it all figured out, um, as Nikki already alluded to, we're doing this series called Promise Keeper. Um, which I think it's helpful for us to start out with the idea of what a promise is. And so I'm going to ask the question, I'm actually going to ask for a few people to maybe answer it. Uh, Why do we make promises? Why do we make promises? And I actually want to hear a few people answer it. Well, why do you think we make promises? Hmm. Charlie made eye contact with me, looked away, and then... (laughs) I called on him. Charlie, why do we make promises? To let other people know that you can, they can trust you, right? Cool. Any, any other answers? Why do we make promises? Mia? Okay. Yeah, so it's a, a little bit of accountability. Like you're, you're doubling down on something and saying, help me to actually do this. I'm making a promise. Any other things there? Anything with why we make promises? Typically, I think we make promises because we want to help dispel, like get rid of doubt that people have in us actually following through on the things that we've said. Let me say that again. We make promises because we want to dispel. We want to get rid of doubt that people might have of us doing the things that we say that we would actually do. We only promise someone something when we think they might doubt that we are actually going to follow through on it. And really, We make promises because so many of us have experienced the letdown of somebody saying they were going to do something, whether it's a parent or a friend uh, or someone else in their lives, and they just don't actually do it, right? Let me ask this question. When was the the time that you realized that promises could be broken? Maybe even think back. You're probably like four years old or something and say, hey, we promise you we're going to McDonald's after this. And you're like... A week later, hey, I didn't actually go to McDonald's. What the heck? They totally swindled me. I remember uh, I was actually in fourth grade. This is maybe not the first memory, but it's like the most significant. Uh, sitting at the, the dinner table, and my parents let me know, and the rest of my siblings, hey, we are going to be moving from Arizona to California. And of course, like the whole table, all, me and all my siblings just start weeping of like, what do you mean we're moving? What, are, what about my friends? What about my life here? And uh, I... Uh, Remember my dad saying, hey, you'll make new friends. I promise you, you'll make new friends. And it's like, but I don't want to make new friends. I like living where I'm at. And it's like, well, we're going to be making more money, and so we're going to get to go to Disneyland. I promise we'll go to Disneyland. Uh, lo and behold, both of those promises <laughs> were uh, not fulfilled <laughs> very quickly. Uh, moving to California was actually really hard for me. I, it, I struggled to make friends for the first year of being out here. Um, and... 
we never went to Disneyland. I've still never gone to Disneyland with my parents. They broke that promise to me, but really what they were trying to do is they were trying to get me on board with the thing that they were communicating, and they broke it. And when promises get broken over and over and over in our life, it causes us to have this sense of distrust that people are going to do what they say they're going to do. Sometimes that distrust is valid, but often it's not. But even more so than just with people. I believe the experiences that we have with people who have broken promises, broken their word, causes us to have this view of God that he's going to do the exact same thing. That God isn't trustworthy. And this whole series that we're doing, Promise Keeper, is we are doubling down on the sense that God is not just one who makes promises, but he's one who keeps them. It actually says in Hebrews 6 that God is incapable of lying. That he, when he says something, it is going to happen. And so there's two goals in this series for us as we go throughout the next six weeks as we look at this Promise Keeper series. Number one, that God has made promises to humanity throughout uh, throughout history. We want you guys to know that, that God is a promise maker. And two, that God keeps his promises always. God is actually, if you look all throughout scripture, you can kind of like summarize the narrative of scripture by this idea of promise. All throughout it, there's these promises that God has made to humanity. But not only that, he keeps his promises. And the fact that God is a promise maker and a promise keeper has huge impact on our lives personally now today. And so before we actually go into that first promise, it's helpful for us to understand what we're talking about when we're looking at the promises that God has made. Uh, the, the language that, that scripture is using often is this idea of covenant. Covenant. It's a word that you've probably heard before, but really it's like, it seems antiquated. Like, what does that mean? It's helpful for us to understand that these are the kind of promises that God was making. Scripture speaks of these promises as covenant. And a covenant literally means a relational promise between two parties. So you can fill that in on your blank. If you're like, wait, you have notes? Yes, you have notes underneath you, probably with a pen. All right, Nikki? Oh, yeah. Nikki made it happen. Except for some of them. That's right, we ran out. So if, uh, if you need to steal one from someone else. But covenants are a relational promise between two parties. Between two. A relational promise between two parties. And every covenant consists of obligations and commitments that usually would involve some sort of like symbolic ceremony. So this, this is something that happened all throughout like early history that kings would make covenants with their people or there would be friends who would make covenants with one another, this relational promise. And you see, this promise wasn't like a contract, you know, covenants and contracts are very different, which I want us to make sure we understand that. Uh, so I, I went snowboarding this season. Uh, where are my uh, snowbirds at? A few of you? Great. Uh, I have this thing called an icon pass, which means I can go snowboarding in like 50 different spots for like as much as I want, except uh, 48 of those are like places I will never go. And so uh, I, I have an icon pass, which makes it so that I have a season pass to all these locations. And as I was snowboarding this, uh, like last week, I was talking about, with my friends about like, would you ever let someone borrow your pass to use it? Because it's super expensive to go snowboarding. Would you ever let someone borrow your pass to go and use it? And we've talked about, well, I mean, one, that would be stealing. So that's probably not a good idea. And two, if you get caught, the person who uses it will either get arrested or 
they will suspend the account of the person who let you borrow it. Those are the two options if you get caught. So we were like, that feels like way too risky to ever do it. You see, uh, I have a contract with the Icon Pass people. It's this mutually beneficial service. I give them money and they give me access to all these snowboarding uh, destinations and I could just keep going as much as I want. I've got a little picture of me snowboarding if you want to put it up there, boom. Yeah, it was beautiful. Uh, I've got this contract with the Icon Pass and if I break that contract, Icon has every right to remove me from access to the things that they want to give me because I have broken the contract. It's a mutually beneficial service until you break it and then it's severed. That is not what a covenant is. A covenant is more like this idea of marriage. You see, when Natalie and I stood across from each other six and a half years ago and we committed to one another, it was not a contract with, hey, if you do things that I don't like, I'm out, I'm gone. This is a mutually beneficial service. No, it is a, a goal of having greater intimacy in relationship with one another. So there are boundaries in place that we are asking to hold each other accountable to, these bounds of commitment, in order to grow in, in intimacy. I, am make, I made a covenant with Natalie that I would remain committed to her, that I would love her and I would serve her, and that we would grow in relationship with one another. And there are times where we don't do that well, and it doesn't mean we pull the plug on it. It means we actually return and continue to, to ask for forgiveness and grow with one another. You see, God's promises are covenantal because they are relational. Every single one of God's promises throughout Scripture have the goal of you having a greater relationship with him. Hold on, don't miss that. I think this is important. It can be easy to miss this. All of the promises in Scripture aren't so that all of the things that you want, you can have. They are so that you can have a greater relationship with him. He's a God who is moving towards us, and so the promises he has made with humanity are so that you can know him. That's the goal here. God's promises always come from a place for greater relationship with him. It means if it was contractual, he would have been gone long ago because we break our faithfulness, we break uh, we sin all the time. He would have been gone long ago, but that's not the case. It is covenantal. It is relational. He's moving towards us over and over again. And the first covenant, the first thing that we see, we're looking at the book of Genesis, is a covenant that God makes with Adam and Eve by creating them. Some people disagree whether or not it was a covenant. It was. And so with that, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. Father, we ask that in this moment um, that you would speak. Father, as we look at maybe even a familiar passage that you'd give us fresh eyes, a fresh heart, um, and Lord, that we would truly understand that this has implications for us today for as high schoolers in Long Beach, California, that you desire for us to know you and to trust you and to live uh, boldly with and for you. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for the gospel. It's because of that we can stand boldly and confidently before you and before others knowing that, uh, man, Eternity is so good. We love you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right, first thing. First thing we're looking at. Covenant relationship established. That's the first fill in the blank. We're going to be in chapter 1, verse 26 of Genesis. Covenant relationship is established. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is in, on the face of all the earth and every tree, its seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and every, to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and of everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Boom. First thing, God creates us, not just like everything else, but he creates us uniquely. It says that God created us in his image and his likeness, which when we think about that, the first thing we can rule out of what that means is that it doesn't mean that we look physically like God. Scripture makes clear that God is invisible, and so it's not like when you look at me, you're looking in a mirror and you're like, this is exactly what God physically looks like. God is invisible, and so that's not the case. People have also said that to be made in the image of God means like it describes our attributes that are like we're emotional like him or that we have reason and morality, critical thought. But part of that too is like there's a list of things that some people will agree with and disagree with and so it's hard to narrow down. I think the, the thing that we have to understand, maybe it's not the only thing, but maybe a central thing about being made in the image of God is that we were made to be his. If I were to make something in my image, what would I be doing? having a baby, right? And so to be made in the image of, of course, God did not give birth to us, but it's this idea that God has made us his. And by making us his, we are called to rule like he rules. It says we have dominion over the world and that we're also supposed to like represent him here, to be someone who represents him to others. We see that God has given us authority and dominion of the world to take care of. And so with that, by creating an Adam and Eve in his image and giving them authority over the world, God is actually establishing covenant relationship with humanity. Because he didn't just make us willy-nilly. He made us intentionally to be his. He establishes relationship by the first thing he's saying, you're going to do this. And this is emphasized in the next chapter, in chapter 2, 15 through 17, as it's talking about this once again. And it says in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The covenant with Adam is this. Hey, Adam, live in daily relationship with me. Just don't eat of that fruit. That's like the one thing. Live in daily relationship with me. Take care of the garden. Enjoy the life that I've given this perfection. Just don't eat of that thing. It's a valid question to ask why God would place a tree there that would be tempting. Like, why is that even in the garden in the first place? Maybe it's so that Adam and Eve always had the choice to follow God and weren't required to. We don't know exactly why. But we know that God had said, this is my covenant. Live in daily relationship with me. Benefit this relationship that you truly desire. But don't eat of that tree. And yet, we know how the story goes. Covenant relationship is established. It's beautiful. It's good. We don't know how long it was for. But it doesn't last forever. We see in the next chapter that covenant relationship is forfeited. Covenant relationship is forfeited. Looking at Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. 
lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Right here, you see that covenant relationship, even though it had been established, is forfeited because that's the one stipulation that was asked. Do not do that. And yet it's the thing that they move towards when Satan walks in. By eating the fruit, they forsake the covenant. They say no to it. And for the first time ever, we see humanity experience guilt, the fact that they had done wrong. We see them experiencing shame that they hide themselves from each other. They realize that they're naked which is like such a weird thought, but to realize, oh man, I'm embarrassed by the way I look right now. I had never been experienced again before that. And it results in them being kicked out of the garden. We read on and you see that God kicks them out of the garden because of sin, because sin is anything that is not like God. And so he says, I cannot be near this. And so I'm going to kick you out. And also he says, you're going to experience death. Death exists in this world, both physically and spiritually, because of the first sin. And that all of that would be passed on to every person who is ever connected to Adam and Eve, which, whether or not you know this, you are. If they were the first people, we trace our lineage back to them. And so we see that it's forfeited. But once again, is God's promise contractual or covenantal? It's covenantal. It's relational. Look at verse 21 real fast. After all these things, the result of sin, this is what has to happen. We see, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Take a second. Like, doesn't that feel backwards? Didn't they just, like, spit in God's face? And he's kicking them out. He's telling them this is what's got to happen. And what's he do? He literally kills an animal. He takes the skins and he covers them. He takes their shame and he says, I will deal with this. Doesn't that kind of foreshadow something that is to come? The death of something to cover the, the sin of another? Anyways, I don't know. There's lots of things in the Bible that kind of poured ahead, uh, point ahead. But with that, God proves that he's still committed to them, even though they forfeited covenant relationship. He's not forfeiting it on, on them. The next thing is in Genesis 3.15, we'll jump back down there, and we see covenant relationship is promised to be restored. Covenant relationship is promised to be restored. This is in the scene where God is talking to Satan, Adam, and Eve. Looking at verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And talking about the consequences to sin, God is talking specifically to Satan, and he's talking about that there's going to be someone that will come from the line of this woman, somebody down the line who is going to bruise his head, really is going to crush his skull, is what he's saying. But they will have their heel bruised in the process. And of course, in Genesis 3, we don't have a full picture of what that means, but as we read throughout Scripture, we see that that is actually being promised there, and slowly but surely, in seed form being established in, the, in a tree that we know as the cross, that that is pointing ahead to Jesus. This is the first time we see the gospel presented, that God says, you've made this mess, I'm going to fix it. 
I promise you, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to destroy the power of sin on your behalf. But yet, it's going to be costly. You can flip over to Romans 5 if you want. Romans 5, it's in the New Testament. It's right after uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And Romans 5 is talking about this, this idea of Jesus being the new Adam. That this, he is the one that the Genesis 3.15 was pointing ahead to, that God was keeping his covenant with man. In Romans 5.12, it says this. It's on the screen. It might be a little tiny, though. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who is that? Adam, right? Just as the sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even more uh, over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who is the type of the one who was to come. A lot of words there that are going on. What this is saying is that even though perfect relationship was, uh, perfect covenant relationship was forfeited by Adam, that God was going to be doing something. And even that there's something to do with Moses and the law was continuing what God was doing, which we'll be talking about the Mosaic covenant that will be coming in like three weeks, but saying that God was working things out in time, in history, in order to culminate in Jesus. But look at verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass... Adam's led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many were to be made righteous. Who's that talking about? Jesus, right. 99% chance of getting that right. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see that you had in Genesis 3.15, that covenant relationship, this relational promise to grow in intimacy together was promised to be restored and it happens through Jesus. Just like Adam sinned, and sin is passed to every single person. There's not been a, a single person after Adam that hasn't been sinful. In the same way, Jesus going on the cross, paying the punishment for sin by dying a perfect, as a perfect substitute, as a perfect sacrifice, because he never sinned. And resurrecting from the grave, proving that he has the power over life and death. To put our faith in him, we are now connected to him as our first person, as the, the first fruit, as the, the firstborn. And so really there's only two options in this life. We're either connected to Adam and Eve or we're connected to Jesus. We're connected to the ones who have broken, forfeited covenant relationship with God and therefore our covenant relationship is also broken with him. Or we're connected to the one who restored it. It was promised and it actually was restored. You know, there were people for thousands of years looking forward to the day when Genesis 3.15 was going to actually happen. And we live with the benefit that we look back 2,000 years ago and we know that it actually happened. And that we get to have faith and trust that God is a God who is keeping his promises. We see it all throughout scripture and he's continuing to do it today. We have a, covenant, a covenantal God who desires relationship with you right now. Right now. 
It's not just so that you can like check a box. It's not so that you can impress your parents or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or anything like that. There's nothing other than God just wants to be in relationship with you personally because that's his character. He's not a distant God, but he is near. He offers himself to us. Why would we want anything else? This is, our God is good. And he's worthy to be known and to be loved. On that trip, uh, snowboarding trip, uh, probably top five scariest moments of my life. Uh, does anyone know what a gondola is? Yeah, cool. It's like one of those enclosed ski move people movers, you know? Like it's like closed up because it gets windy and it's going a really long time. This gondola goes for 12 minutes. Like it's, it goes really high to the top of the mountain. Uh, at Mammoth, it's like really hard to get to the top of the mountain because of how windy it is. Um, but they opened the top one of the days we were there. And so me and my friends decided, you know what? We're going to get up there before they close it back down again because we don't know how long it's going to be. And so we got on the gondola and we get to the part, literally, literally the highest point, like at least 150 feet up in the air, and it just stops, and we're swinging, and we're with seven other people with us, and we're like, okay, it's probably going to get going pretty soon, right? Uh, five minutes go by as the wind's blowing us. Ten minutes go by as the wind's blowing us. And now the people around me, are, they're like, they're talking and they're sweating, like they're like, what is going on? Like, and one guy cussing is just saying like, Man, I'm just effing afraid of heights. This is the worst. This is this sucks. And he literally has tears in his eyes as we're like looking down and like getting blown by the wind. And it's like after 10 minutes, you start to question like maybe something is wrong. You know, it's like this is safe, but also how safe is it? Like we got stopped at the like the highest point. And it took literally it took us like an extra half hour of just sitting in this gondola, which uh, when I look back was like a very long half hour, as all you can do is literally sit there holding your snowboard. Like this is my only place of comfort. Um, but as we started moving again, this guy that had tears in his eyes of just freaked out, he says, "Man, I'm so glad that we're good. You know what? I'm gonna start drinking again." That's literally what he said. I'm gonna start drinking again. He's like, the, the one place he had to turn to for refuge was alcohol. That's the hope he had. Walking away from fearing that his life was going to end, he doesn't know what's next, and all of a sudden he's blessed with an opportunity for more life as he's questioning it, and he runs and says, I need a drink. God isn't just a option. He is the option. He is the best option. Alcohol, friendships, a good life, money, whatever you're looking for is going to lack in comparison. I couldn't help but feel bad for him that that was the best thing he could think of. Man, I earned this drink. Your God is so much better than anything else you can run to. I promise you that. There's nothing else that will satisfy your heart. And it's good because, man, even though we run to other things, he is a covenantal God, and so he's going to keep running after you. I'm going to invite up the worship team uh, to close us out as I pray for us as we wrap up our time. Father, we, we're just so grateful, um, Lord. And even for those of us maybe who aren't grateful, would you give us hearts of gratitude for the fact that you are relational? Lord, your covenant that you have established with Adam and Eve has been like, offered to us that you have conquered sin on our behalf. You have offered life to us, and Lord, that we can have a relationship, covenantal relationship with you because you have restored it on our behalf, but only for those who have placed our faith in Jesus. Lord, on our own, we're still connected to Adam. We're still connected to sin. Lord, would you convict us 
for those of us who don't have relationship with you because we, d- we are worthy of conviction. And Lord, would you draw us to the cross, to the fact that we deserve to die for our sins, and yet you offer us yourself. You offer us eternity and love. And Lord, you offer us far more than we could ever imagine. So Father, would you help us to walk in step with you, to trust you, to know you? And Lord, in the midst of the times where it feels like you are not good, or we don't trust that you are a promise keeper, would you be patient and merciful on us? And Lord, in those moments, we look back and realize that we were the ones in the wrong 100% of the time, because you never are. Father, we are so grateful for you and the fact that you are working in and through this place. Would you continue to get the glory? Love you. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.